Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we'll bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories of patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be with you on your journey, and we want you to know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. David Jenkins, Radiation Oncology Specialist at Joe Arrington Cancer Research and Treatment Center in Lubbock, Texas. Today, we're discussing the whole person approach to cancer and what that means for our patients. So let's get started by welcoming our guest today. Hello, Dr. Jenkins. Thank you for having me. Um, Let's start with a super easy one. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your role at Covenant? I am a radiation oncologist, and I, I work at the Joe Arrington Cancer Center in Lubbock, Texas. So that's our um, Covenant Cancer Center. Um, so I treat primarily, uh, like the name implies, cancer. Um, some other non-cancerous conditions with radiation, but um, primarily radiation uh, for cancer. Amazing. And for people listening who don't know, Covenant is actually part of the Providence family of health organizations um, and is based in Lubbock, Texas. Um, but I do have to start, I guess, let's start really basic. How'd you get into radiation oncology? Exploring around um, radiation oncology, we, we spend a fair amount of our time treating patients for palliation of symptoms, or in other words, alleviating symptoms of pain or other things. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, uh, being able to help patients that way. So that's how I was steered in that direction. I love it. I love it. Well, today we're talking about the whole person approach to cancer care. So what does that actually mean? Our focus is understandably primarily on treating the patient's illness, meaning their cancer diagnosis and the process of the cancer within the body. However, the patient, of course, has many other needs and concerns. And so treating a a whole person approach is to maintain awareness of all those other aspects of a patient's um, diagnosis and needs. So that includes psychological needs, physical symptoms, social needs, sometimes being very aware of financial uh, situations. So it's, it's all that supportive care and all the aspects surrounding the patient that are contributing to that cancer process, but not necessarily directly related to it. Does that include patients who have multiple conditions? So like my father has bladder cancer, but also mm-hmm. congestive heart failure. And so it's really important for his doctors to talk to each other and know what they're doing. And even sometimes he had to stop chemo to have heart surgery kind of a thing. Is that part of what you're talking about? That is part of it. Yeah, I absolutely see cancer care as a team, a team sport, if you will. So it involves getting lots of providers involved um, because partly that cancer affects the whole body in many ways. And we're all more likely to get cancer later in life when we've uh, collected some baggage along the way and have other conditions that have to be accounted for. So that that's absolutely part of it. 
Now, I know that I've talked with other clinical um, experts about kind of whole person approach to care. I think we've talked about it in heart. I think we've talked about it in even ortho. Is it different, though, when you talk about whole person approach as it relates to cancer? There are many uh, similarities with other serious illnesses like cancer, um, uh, cardiac, excuse me, cardiac conditions or others. I think there's some unique aspects to it, though in that uh, cancers oftentimes cause other symptoms such as pain. Pain is a, unfortunately a common symptom that we, that we deal with. So there are some unique aspects to it. Well, what about the patient's role? I mean, obviously from the clinical side, you're working with other team members. It's an entire village, right? I mean, there's so many people that take care of a patient, especially in the whole person approach, but how do you get a patient involved in, in this process or even the family? What do those conversations look like? For me, one of the important things is that initial information gathering when I meet a patient, especially for the first time, not just the objective cold hard facts about their diagnosis and what what does the blood work show and what the what does the latest scan show but learning a lot more about the patient themselves where do they live how, how far do they live from the cancer center what transportation uh, needs do they have how is their overall health uh, prior to this cancer diagnosis what social network is available to support the patient along the way? Do they have family involved or friends and church members? Um, and all of those factors are important to understand going into it. And then there's many considerations about simply patient preference. Uh, everyone comes from a different background, different values and goals. And so that's important to explore in, in, in certain situations as well. I mean, it kind of seems like a no-brainer, right, to have a whole person approach to care, but it's not necessarily something that everybody's been exposed to. And I know it's not necessarily new, and I'm using air quotes there, but is is it is it new? I mean, it doesn't feel like we've been doing this for a long time. And I say that because, you know, both my grandparents had cancer, and I feel like it was, here's your diagnosis, here's your, your treatment, and it was nice seeing you, right? Whereas now with my father, it's like, I've met the doctors, I've met the nurses, I've met the oncology providers, like the chemo specialists. And they have talked to him about his preferences. Like, would you like this? Or, you know, would you like us to pray with you? Like those kind of things I think are really valuable. So talk to me about how, how this started, this whole person approach to care. A lot of it is, I think, patient driven. Fortunately, I think the experience you're describing is a lot of people's experience maybe decades ago of patients feeling like they were treated as their illness and a patient is not their illness a patient is a patient and they have an experience with an illness and that's part of their journey but that's not all of it so i think patients were a a big factor in that so there has been a movement um, in the last uh, several decades to this whole person approach. In the past, it was often a model of treat the patient's cancer. And when effective treatments become ineffective or limited by the patient's health, well, then we can transition to focusing on a patient's well-being and quality of life. 
So it was kind of an A followed by B approach. <clears throat> and more recently, the approach has been that those occur simultaneously. You know, picture two train tracks running in parallel. One is the treatment of the cancer itself, and the other is all the supportive care that focuses on the rest of the patient. And so that's that's present, hopefully, from diagnosis. And the, the, there are many national organizations now and guidelines even that strongly recommend that approach, that, that these supportive services be provided and be available early in the treatment course and, and not just at the end when active cancer treatments have been exhausted and, the, and that we don't have additional treatments to offer. I mean, in its theory, it sounds like a wonderful program or idea or concept, but I have to ask a hard question, which is if you're giving a patient more say in their care, right, than maybe more traditionally we have, what happens if you and the patient or you and the patient's family disagree about, you know, a treatment or the course of action that they should, that you should take? I try very hard to put my self in a patient's position and understand where they're coming from but with the humble understanding that i will i have not lived their life i have not lived their cancer journey so they'll always come from a dis different perspective and that requires again humility and respect on my part the other factor that's important is that the patient ultimately is the one who will live with the consequences of the care they choose to receive so whether that's success or failure of a treatment or one a rare unexpected side effect, ultimately it's 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 the patient that will live with that. And so, I will make a recommendation if if there's a clear recommendation to be made, and if a patient decides otherwise, I support them and and try to express that support for the patient and in their decision because it is ultimately their health. And if a patient walks away from a conversation feeling that we uh, disagreed or that I somehow as the provider feel disappointed or, or anything like that, and the patient decides not to return, I don't think I've done them any favors um, because the, the condition is still there. They still need care. And so I, I try to express my support for patient, whatever their choices, so that they will continue to seek care within the healthcare system. Uh, I like the way you think about that. That's it's a nice approach. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier pain, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the whole treating every part of mental, physical, spiritual kind of well-being. I know a lot of a lot of cancer patients suffer from depression and other mental health issues from the pain or from the fact that, am I going to die or am I going to lose my breast or whatever? How do you integrate behavioral health into this whole person approach? You're correct. About one in, in three, at least, cancer patients will have some mental health symptoms um, during their the course of their illness. So it is an important priority. I do try to be aware of those. Um, there are screening screening tools that can be used. So when patients come in to see a cancer provider, they can quickly 
fill out a questionnaire that, that have been created to quickly screen for symptoms of depression and anxiety. So that's a very good first step. And that's encouraged by our national um, cancer organizations to do that. And then I'm uh, fortunate to work with a team that has social workers that can provide some counseling services. Um, psychiatrists uh, can be referred to to help manage that. And then there's a team of providers um, called palliative care uh, that they also can address some mental health symptoms. And so uh, it's a, again, it's a team approach to both screen patients and treat patients for those. And I can mention too, it's um, mental health is something to be aware of from a diagnosis all the way through uh, the recovery process. And then once patients are even in remission, cancer-free and living out their life decades later, there can be residual uh, mental health challenges that come from that. Um, if we think of a type of uh, survivor type uh, experience where they've been through a very difficult and traumatic event and now they're living on the other side and that doesn't mean all of those mental health challenges go away so it's something to be aware of uh, throughout a patient's life even after cure. I, I will tell you that is very true because as a breast cancer survivor myself I feel like I'm you know living a pretty normal life until it's time for my mammogram right and then i panic for the week about like leading up to it and i panic until i get the results and every so often they make me come back and until i get the results from that coming back i don't sleep and i think that's normal but then i'm like yes. eh, that's that's something i should probably talk about you know so i think i think you're right i think it's not just while it's happening to you but i i love this approach and i think what's important about it is that you kind of are building a relationship with your patients but i have to kind of note that most patients are not your patients until they have a cancer diagnosis, right? Like I would probably go to my primary care physician who would schedule me for X, Y, and Z, and then I would find out I had cancer, and then I would determine what my treatment is, and then I would come to you. Is that right? I mean, how are you building a relationship with these people that you're just meeting for the first time when they already have cancer? You're right. Um, oftentimes, patients are diagnosed via their primary care provider or perhaps a surgeon that's performing a surgery or a biopsy. So they are uh, coming to me downstream, um, but taking the time up front when I first meet patients to generate the kinds of conversations that we've talked about, about uh, their social situation, their living situation, their, their worries and fears about their diagnosis, about their, their values, uh, all of that just it slowly builds that relationship. And it's important because for some people, their illness will get worse and not better. And so the conversations can become more and more um, difficult sometimes. So building that foundation is important. There's also a, a common system or organization that's, that's being used in many cancer centers, which is navigators. Oftentimes these are nurses, registered nurses, um, that will help a patient from beginning to end of their cancer process. So say they show up for a biopsy prompted by their mammogram. Well, they haven't really met with a, an oncologist yet, but there can be a nurse that's 
understands the process, understands what a diagnosis would mean. So they're right there even during the biopsy. They can help interpret biopsy results and then they help set up the patient the next step to meet with their oncologist. So navigators have been, I think, a, a, a great tool in, in looking at a whole patient and helping them through that process, which can be very confusing if you've never been through that process before for the patient. 100%. Is it, I, I assume that this is part of whole person approach and, and bear with me if it's not, but what about when a patient decides they don't want to do it anymore? Like my grandma went through round and round and round of chemo and radiation. And finally, she just said to us, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of going to the doctor. I'm 80, whatever years old. I'm done. And our whole family lost it. Right. They're like, no, 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 we can still do this. She was very determined. And, and it really, truly was the clinical staff who said to us, this is her decision. And here's how you can help her navigate. Is that part of this approach? And, and is that... Is that hard for you guys when you're trying to help a family go a direction they don't necessarily want to go? It's a challenging part of it, absolutely. And I'll say it's also on the flip side, in a way, a rewarding experience because when a patient has been perhaps suffering through treatments and been through that challenging experience, helping them transition to focusing on their own quality of life and well-being at some point, it's it's helping provide them a gift. And they oftentimes do come to some peace about having to transition to that. And so that's important. Um, building that relationship early makes that transition much smoother because you're able to help the patient see that perhaps they might be in that future position where treatments are not working and we might need to transition and you can help family look ahead and, and think about that as well. And it also helps as a clinician, if you've been seeing a patient over a period of months or years, if you've watched them perhaps decline in certain ways, it makes you much more aware of uh, the the place they are in their journey and help them understand that they might be at a point where it's time to transition into more of a focus on on their quality of life and comfort rather than active treatments. Well, let's go back to a more positive side of it because when we talk about this new approach, is whole person approach to cancer care, is that actually increasing the odds of survivorship? And, and is it because of the fact that you're looking at the person as a whole and you're treating maybe multiple conditions or things that maybe you wouldn't have seen in the past? How is it really impacting success rate? It's a great question. The place where this has probably been looked at the best is in the introduction of palliative care services into oncology patients. Palliative care is a, a medical specialty that focuses on what we've been talking about, a patient's overall well-being. They provide supportive care. They're focused on alleviating suffering. So they treat patients of, with any kind of serious illness that might require help with symptoms, help with making difficult decisions. So there have been research studies that have introduced patients to palliative care services essentially at the 
outset of their cancer diagnosis and had them care for the patient in parallel as they receive their cancer treatments. It clearly has improved patients, uh, their scores in things such as mood, their perception of their uh, quality of life. It improves their ability to manage symptoms such as pain. And there's also been some studies that have shown that patients who have been plugged into those palliative care services early in their treatment course, they're less likely to seek aggressive care towards the end of life, care that may not be helpful, but may cause more side effects. And then getting to your question about do patients live longer, there have been some uh, research trials that show patients perhaps live slightly longer. Um, and what you mentioned is, I think the most common explanation for that is that as we treat the whole patient, we are um, maybe not missing things that we otherwise would or uh, addressing symptoms that if, if left untreated or perhaps shortening patients' lives. So I, I think it's a, it's maybe a secondary goal of providing this because even if a patient doesn't live longer, we're providing them a better quality of life with whatever, um, with whatever time they may have to live. I know this might seem like an odd question, but if, if whole person approach to cancer care is kind of, I, I don't want to say the way of the future, but it kind of is, how, how do we explain it to people so that they know, like if I'm advocating for say a family member who has cancer, how do I make sure that they're getting this approach? Oftentimes this approach requires a team approach and it requires a cancer clinic or cancer center or hospital, which has made that a mission and goal to provide that team approach. So I think it would be important at the outset, if someone has a diagnosis to speak to someone at that cancer center that you're considering what types of services do you have? Do you have social work? Do you have a nutritionist or dietitian? Do you have perhaps physical therapy? Do you have any um, mental health support such as um, access to psychiatrists or psychologists? And then importantly, do, do you have palliative care services either connected to the cancer center or available? Um, that would be the, the best approach. I, I try to make this a priority in my own practice, uh, but if I were out on my own without all the support that a whole comprehensive cancer center provides, I, I couldn't provide the experience that I'm able to for my patients. So it's important to ask those types of questions. This might seem odd, but maybe not, but has COVID impacted the ability to provide this kind of whole person approach? We've done our best to not, not have it limited, but uh, I would imagine that it has in some small way, simply because it's become um, a situation where patients try to limit the number of visits perhaps to the hospital or clinic uh, so they're less likely to set up those extra appointments that would 
um, be supportive for them. Um, and so maybe small ways. I was thinking about maybe limitations on family members being able to visit in the hospital, that sort of thing. That absolutely. Yeah. Many hospitals and clinics, including my own, um, for good, for good reason, um, would limit visitors even to just say a clinic outpatient visit. We're limited at different points to one or two visitors. And, um, it is making decisions about your care. It's very, very beneficial to have friends and family members present to help you gather the knowledge, gather the information, make those decisions. And when they're not around, uh, absolutely, it can be detrimental. Let's talk a little bit more about like friends and family. I mean, as you know, as you're going through this cancer experience, it can be scary. It can be challenging. I mean, maybe you need a ride somewhere. Maybe you just need someone to talk to. What would you give like advice? What advice would you give to friends and family about how to support a cancer patient uh, through that journey? I would recommend helping gather as much information when you meet with your doctors, take notes, even record the conversation if, if the doctor and the patient are okay with that. Because ultimately it can be overwhelming as a patient, especially those first visits. And it, you lose detailed information sometimes like we always do in stressful situations. So having someone else be present and be able to go back and answer questions for the patient about things that maybe they did, don't, did not remember. And then the other is to um, be supportive with, with that patient's decision. Um, you mentioned earlier that having a, a family member who decided to no longer pursue active treatment for their cancer and how hard that was on family. And that's a phenomenon that I've witnessed multiple times that oftentimes the patient is ready to stop treating the cancer before perhaps the, the family members are because they haven't, they just haven't quite lived it the same way. And so oftentimes it's, it's the support in their decisions that's so important. I, one, I could not agree more with you because <clears throat> that, that perfect example right there, I think there are still people in my family who don't speak to each other <laughs> over the decisions, right? But yeah. it's important too about what you said about kind of just being there for them because my dad, although he's also hard of hearing, right, which has been no offense to COVID, but great for us because I've been allowed to go with him. Mm -hmm. We will leave his appointments. He just met, had a new oncologist a couple weeks ago and we both remember different things from that conversation, mm -hmm. right? But I wrote it all down and it's it's been really helpful because you know then I'll I'll catch my mom up to speed and she'll be like oh x and I'll say no y and then we'll call back and check but I'm not sure him by himself would be an ideal scenario because this is his life and his health right and they're start talking about replacement surgeries and this and I'm writing it down from a technical perspective and in his mind I'm sure he's thinking about what that means you know for his his longevity so I think you're right I think we all can take a more active role in in helping our friends and family through that journey um, we're almost out of time. So I'm going to ask you, is there anything I missed or anything you want listeners to know about a whole person approach to cancer care that we haven't covered? I feel fortunate that I've, I've only practiced in an era where 
the focus is on the the whole patient and i think it's an exciting time for cancer that treatments are improving treatments for the cancer directly but also this emphasis on all the supportive care and what insurance is willing to help pay for because they see the benefits and also that uh patients are patients experience is is better when we approach cancer care this way um and um, I'd always encourage patients to always give themselves the opportunity to hear about treatment options. Uh, and even if you know of someone who was treated a certain way or several decades ago, things have changed so much. And um, it's, always, it's always worth speaking with an oncologist to understand your cancer and what treatments are out there. Very wise words. Thank you, Dr. Jenkins, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you, Dr. Jenkins, for joining us today on Let's Finish Cancer. We look forward to continuing the conversation on the whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence and our affiliates in future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health System. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. And as a reminder, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.